Welcome to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday morning to you, Jason Kong here alongside Bill Alexander. Bill, how are you doing today? Doing great, Jason. Hope you are. I'm doing wonderful, Bill. I'm excited for the show today. We have a lot on the docket, so of let's course. go ahead and jump right in, Bill. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we should do that. Oh, before we get started, I should say that I was really pleased with our turnout for our seminars this past uh Wednesday, um, you know, I, I did a special seminar on asset protection, and, and I was very pleased uh, with that. Um, I think folks appreciated it and learned a lot. And, you know, obviously there's a lot to it that the folks don't understand um, or have never put together. So it, it was fun to be able to share that with folks. Um, but anyway, let's, let's get on. Let's do it, Bill. And uh, the first thing that I have here on our long list of topics to get to today is uh, leaving a memo to give your personal property to family and friends. Well, absolutely. I think it's important for folks to know uh, that, number one, they can do it, uh, and number two, how to do it, which might be even more important. Because, you know, sometimes people are fortunate enough to, to be able to give uh, things that are important to them to special people. Uh, oftentimes that might be a particular child or grandchild, or it might be a special friend. Uh, but it's the kind of thing where you have something that's special to you, and you want to make sure that uh, at your death, it goes to uh, the person that you really want it to go to. And most families have two kinds of, of things like that as it relates to... Uh, now, a, a memo is specifically for tangible personal property. And so if, if you ask what that means, it does not mean I want $5,000 to go to this grandchild. That's, that's not tangible property. Uh, tangible property would be things like jewelry or guns or furniture, furnishings, china, crystal, antiques, heirlooms, collections. It, now, it can be something like a, a a vehicle or a boat or an airplane or something along those lines. Uh, although uh, for most of us, it doesn't include those kinds of things. It, it in, but it d- does include family heirlooms uh, and things that we've acquired during our own lifetimes that are special to us, that we want to go to a special person. Um, so in essence, you can... Um, uh, have a last will and testament or a revocable trust agreement. In other words, two of our basic planning tools. Uh, that includes language that says, I intend to leave a memo. I haven't had time to do it yet, so I'm going to do it after I sign this document. Uh, but uh, I plan to write these things down in order to give uh, certain special things away. Now, truthfully, in my experience, it's generally the ladies (laughs) that do this. Uh, It's less frequent for the men to do it, but but truthfully, men do it as well. Uh, But the lion's share of the folks who want these memos uh, uh, are are the ladies. But it's important 
that folks know that they can, in fact, do that. So if you're going to do one, the question is, how do you do it? Well, there's certain aspects of a memorandum that are very, very important. Number one, now, it doesn't matter what kind of paper you use. It doesn't have to be typewritten or notarized or necessarily even witnessed. I mean, most people just do it by hand. Um, but it should somewhere uh, have a title to it that says this is a memorandum for personal property, or at least say memorandum or say something, memo, or some, some words that say, I'm trying to give away my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and it doesn't matter if it's on a yellow sheet of paper or uh, copy paper or whatever, the, the paper doesn't matter. Um, and it should list out what you're trying to give away. It should be dated in, in terms of most of the time you're going to do this um, all at one time or over a period of several days or a week or something like that. And most importantly, it should be signed. Uh, you should, in fact, sign it for sure. Um, and that's whether you've typed it out or, or uh, written it out by longhand. Uh, now, Oftentimes, uh, folks will do it more than once, so they'll end up with more than one memo. And so you don't want to do what my mama did. <laughs> what did she do? I have to admit, she had four separate memos, and they were none of them were dated, so we didn't know which one fell in what consecutive order, and they conflicted with each other. So now, if they had been dated, <clears throat> we would have taken the last one she did and and uh, used that one to avoid any conflicts with what she had written earlier. Uh, uh, but at the same time, obviously, that created an issue for the four children in the family in terms of um, dividing up some of the personal property. And some folks say, nah, I don't want to do this at all. Uh, I'll just let the kids fight it out as to what they want. And uh, just depending on how you have set that out uh, as to who's in charge of that division, that can be very difficult. So it's, it's nice if your document says that that has to be done by unanimous agreement. <clears throat> that can help a whole lot, too, in terms of not having family squabbles uh, over those those kinds of things. And there are some techniques to divide things up um, where there's less fighting involved over who gets what. Um, but now, here's the important part about a memo, and this is something that um, is uh, new. Uh, well, it's not really new. It's old, but it's um, – and that's digital photography. That's pretty darn easy to do, isn't it? Doesn't cost you really much of anything like it used to back in the day. I remember when my father died, we had lots of pictures that all of us, all four children, wanted. And so I took it upon myself to take the pictures that everybody wanted and have them, have them reproduced. Well, this was before digital photography, so it, it actually cost me $800 to have, um, you know, a bunch of photographs uh, that were important to us uh, reproduced for every, so everybody could have one. 
But today, you don't have to do that. You can use your your uh, phone, your t- you know, your smartphone, and and take uh, photographs, and then print them to a, a cheap printer, and y- and you got photographs. But what I tell folks who are doing memos is that for each item on the list, to take a photo of it, print it out, and attach it, number it, you know, according to the numbering in your memo. And attach it to your actual memorandum. And so, if I mean, some folks only give away a few things, but even if you gave away 100 things, you attach 100 pictures, and, and that makes for a very effective memo. Why do you think a, a photograph would be helpful? Well, I would think that, you know, what, one, what you might refer to something could mean multiple things to someone else. Well, exactly. When you're trying to give something away, you're trying to give a particular thing away. And when you're dead, you can't say, hey, I didn't mean that one. I meant the one over there. (laughs) And so a photograph is really helpful because it identifies what you really were meaning when you said, I wanted to give that ring or that chest of drawers or whatever it is to a particular person. Um, that, to me, is really important. Um, so the, but the key is that the photograph will, in fact, identify. Because if you say, well, the ring that Aunt Mandy gave me, you might be the only person who remembers what ring it was that Aunt Mandy gave you. You know, it's, it's, you, you have that particular knowledge, but your children may very well not have that particular knowledge. And a photograph solves that problem. Now, there's another piece to this that's really important. And that is what I tell my clients is that that picture gives you an opportunity that if you don't take it, you're really missing the boat. Do you, do you have any idea what that is? I don't. That's <laughs> well, why you're here, Bill. Well, what I tell folks is that when you have a picture, you know, you can turn that picture over and you can write out the story behind the picture. Sometimes it's the fact that you, you want the person you're giving it to, that special someone, you want them to know why that is special to you. And oftentimes it, it might be a combination of the fact that, hey, this is pretty valuable and you need to know that it's pretty valuable. But other times it's because this was something that's been passed down through generations in the family or it's something that your mom gave you or that your dad gave you or uh, something that you might have acquired that has special meaning behind it or that there's a family story behind it. Well, the fact is, if you don't write it down, that will be lost in the next generation. And so when it's passed down the next time, they won't know about that story. And so it really won't have near as much – it won't be nearly as special because that story has been lost. And so – In fact, that's one of the things that I wanted to focus on this morning uh, is family stories and how important uh, they are. And I know we have to take a break, but when we come back, I want to talk about how that is really important as it relates to an inheritance because it doesn't matter whether you're filthy rich or dirt poor. 
every family has stories that are important. And there's what I call a parallel inheritance that most of us don't do anything about. We're worried about the money. We want to make sure the farm or the house goes where we want it to go. But there's so much more that's meaningful to folks that if if we just do it. And, and most of us procrastinate, and it doesn't get done, and it's lost, and it's a real tragedy. So that's what I want to talk about when we come back. I'm looking forward to that discussion. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. If you want to find more about Bill, you can head online to WGALaw.com. That is Bill's website. There you can find information about him. You can also find information about his free monthly seminars, WGALaw.com. We're uh, having a discussion here about uh, Bill. Uh, having your personal property go where you want it to go after you're gone and family stories. And you mentioned a very interesting term, parallel inheritance. Well, I think it's really important. So uh, let's start. uh, Now, I'm going to put you on the spot here, Jason, but I think this is uh, something that uh, is important. Uh, you, You have a child, do you not? I do. Okay, and and how old is your child? He is two years old. Oh boy, that's a great age. Uh, is he terrible yet? Uh, he is. <laughs> he is embracing his terribleness at this moment. Yes. Okay. How important? Now you have a son, right? That's correct. All right. Now, how important is your son to you? Oh, I mean, one of the two most important things in the world to me. Okay. What's the other one? My wife. Okay. That, that's a good answer. I hope so. Yeah. All right. I hope well, I passed that part of the test. Yeah, you've passed so far. Um, now, um, let's talk about your son. Uh, is your son more important to you than your job? Yes. Is your son more important than wealth? Yes. Uh, is uh, would you? Uh, is there anything that you wouldn't do for your son? No, there's not. Okay. So what uh, – now, uh, for folks uh, in, out there listening, uh, this has not been prepped at all because Jason had no idea I was going to ask him these questions. Um, <laughs> they could only see my face. <laughs> so the um, – uh, all right. So the next question might be a little more difficult. It's like what are your – hopes and dreams or and or fears for your son as a as a father what what are those things that you want to provide for your son and see in him 30 40 50 years from now i would say the opportunity to pursue what he wants to in life um to make himself happy uh and to be provided with the tools to do so that's that's what i want for him Okay. Uh, do you want him to be a good crook? I mean, that has good 
good tools and and cheats and and um, steals money from folks. I mean, that would fit into your definition of having good tools. Okay, <laughs> and to be a good person along the way. Okay. So, uh, might it be important that uh, he grow up with values? Of course, and not be a cheater. In other words, to play fair and be uh, well, how active in the community, maybe. Oh yeah, of course. Uh, to uh, maybe uh, be a good steward uh, to his church and community. Sure. You think that's an important thing? Absolutely. Okay. Well, that, that's those are the points I'm trying to make. Now, here's here's the the ultimate question and we're talking about an inheritance here because where is he going to get that who's he going to get it from family and in particular who in the family is he going to get it from Uh, i would say there would be us and then probably grandma would be would fall into there as well okay now um all right so i would say to you today that it's you and your wife all right. So, uh, where does where does his grandmother live? She lives in Florida. How often does he see Grandmama? About t- three or four times a year. So he really doesn't know her very well, does he? No. I, well, he doesn't know anything very well. Right? Well, I understand. <laughs> but let's say he's ten years old. If he only sees his grandmother once or twice a year, he's really not going to get family values from her, is she? Sure. Is he okay? Well, see, that's one of the things that has changed so much in our world. Uh, Now, some of the younger folks may not appreciate this in terms of uh, what I'm getting ready to say, but the fact is is that prior to World War II, uh, families pretty much lived together. Uh, Sometimes uh, you'd have three sometimes four generations who lived in the same home or they lived in the same community uh, or on the same farm. In other words, they might have lived a few houses down or a block away, but no more than a mile or two away. I mean, everybody lived together. Um, The grandparents were typically uh, uh, the caregivers after school every day. Um, the you know people the folks would get together at least once or two or three times a week for dinner um, because families were really unified. Do we live in a world like that today? <laughs> no, we don't. Well, what I'm getting at is that fam- back before World War II, you didn't have to be proactive about family values because. The children and grandchildren grew up knowing their grandparents and sometimes their great-grandparents along with their parents who instilled these family stories and values and virtues just by being with them each day. Uh, you know, all the family would go all go to, to the same church on Sundays. Uh, there'd be lots of uh, meals together. There would be community involvement. Uh, everybody pitched in to help each other. You know, when the parents, grandparents got to the point where uh, they needed assistance, the children and grandchildren were there. Uh, so you didn't have a proliferation of nursing homes and assisted living homes because everybody took care of each other. 
but that's pretty hard today when your children live uh, in California or your parents live in Florida, uh, you know, whatever it is, um, uh, it's a far different type of community today than it, than it was. And all of this has happened truthfully since World War II because after World War II, the GI Bill allowed uh, the soldiers and sailors to, and, and airmen uh, to go to college and, um, and in essence, leave the family farm, leave home, and uh, go and, and uh, pursue um, dreams that were not opportunities uh, before. And so, the, you know, as far as family values go and, and uh, life has changed significantly. So the point is, is that your son, in my mind, is not going to, to receive family values uh, or virtues, if you will, through anyone, hardly, other than you or your wife. Now, you might say, well, what about school? Well, I would – I mean, back when I was uh, in elementary school, back in the dark ages, yes, schools really did provide um, some um, uh, uh, value um, in terms of what's right, what's wrong, don't cheat, uh, uh, do what's right, uh, you know, those kinds of things. Schools today aren't like that. They really aren't. I mean, they're, I don't see any values education at all. The, the, uh, even when my children were growing up, I was horribly frustrated with the fact that values were not taught in school. In fact, if anything, it was the exact opposite of what they were getting. Um, uh, values were, to some degree, taught in church and Sunday school, um, but that's it. And uh, oftentimes you see um, uh, things in church that uh, are, go the other way. You know, they talk a good line, but actions are not the same as, as the words. Um, and, and that uh, can be frustrating for kids as well. Um, scouting w- was one of the uh, truly uh, unique uh, activities uh, where values were taught. Uh, both of my uh, boys were in Boy Scouts, and which I still think the world of Boy Scouting and Girl Scouting, because that's that is one of the few organizations left in the world that actually does, in fact, tr- uh, teach values. Uh, but again, it's the most important place to learn values is at home, not uh, through some organizations. Um, even the YMCA does not really teach values in the same way that they did a hundred years ago. It doesn't, um, you know, so the the lessons have to be learned at home by the parents because that's the only place for it. And so the point is, and I know I've gone on way too long, is the fact that as parents, oftentimes we hope that we are instilling values into our children and grandchildren but um, you know we we fall short and and there are some things that we can do to help push that along that we're not doing and that's one of the things i want to talk about 
Excellent. We'll get to that right after this. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Again, you can find more about him online at WGALaw.com. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander, and we're having a discussion on family values, Bill, and the importance of uh, passing on uh, ethics and understanding and moral values. And uh, th- this is stuff that, as you said, it's it's getting harder and harder to uh, find folks who will well, teach this to your children. You, you know, there might be some folks out there that, that are scratching their heads and saying, now, what, what does this have to do with asset protection? But the, the fact is, what is your most important asset? It's your children. If you have children, it's your children. <laughs> and so how do we protect them? How do we, uh, you know, how do we pass that on? Uh, and, and that's a p- pretty tough question for um, a, a lot of us, but I'll, I'll say it a, a, in a different way. What's more important to pass along, uh, Jason? Is it a good name, one that's meaningful, one that's virtuous um, in the community, or is it money? Which is more important? I'd say the virtue would be more important. Me too. Yeah. I, I, I would say so. Uh, I mean, you you hope to be able to pass along some money or property that goes with the values and virtue, but if you really get down to what's more important to provide and leave for your family, uh, the good name is is the is the key, really, because if if you leave your family a good name then they have the opportunity to do something with it. Right. If they don't screw it up, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can lose your good name, you can lose your money, but, you know, that's um, uh, something to, to be said. Uh, okay, here's – I know that I've been putting you on the spot. I, I got another one for that's you. That's okay. I'm used to it, Bill. Have you heard – do you know the story of Easy Eddie – have you ever heard of Easy Eddie before? I don't believe I've heard of Easy Eddie. You've never heard of Easy Eddie? Okay. Well, maybe it's because he was a lawyer. Okay. You know, but most people know lawyer jokes and lawyer stories. And Easy Eddie is actually a pretty good story. Easy Eddie could easily have been called Sleazy Eddie. <laughs> I gotcha. He was not the kind of attorney that I would want to be. <laughs> or I would want anybody to be. Uh, but he actually got his name uh, by stealing uh, one of his client's uh, property rights. Uh, he had a client who basically um, uh, uh, created the little rabbit that runs around the greyhound tracks that right. the dogs uh, mm-hmm. race after and follow. Well, his client actually invented that. And guess what Easy Eddie did? 
What did he do? He stole the, the, that uh, invention and patented it for himself. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Is this Sleazy Eddie? Yeah, Sleazy Eddie. Okay. Uh, you know, lawyers are actually have a pretty high ethical duty to do what's in your best interest, and Easy didn't believe in that, I guess. Now, uh, this was back a long time ago, and this was in Chicago. And guess who uh, – uh, Easy Eddie drew attention from. I'd say the mob. Well, that's exactly right. In fact, it was Al Capone, and uh, and then something happened, and so Al Capone became a uh, a client of Easy Eddie's, and and Al Capone uh, he was a good client. In other words, all of his transactions went through Easy Eddie, uh, and Al really liked him. All right, but something happened. Do you know what happened? What's that? Easy Eddie, his wife had a child, a boy. Uh, do you think that might have changed Eddie? I'd say so. Well, it did. Do you know what Al Capone – you know, Al Capone actually ended up going to jail. Do you remember that? Yeah. Do you know why he went to jail? I don't remember the exact circumstances. Well, he was charged um, with failing to file income taxes ah. and basically lying on the income taxes that he did file. In other words, he was underreporting his income. And guess who the witness was against Al Capone? I'd say it was probably Mr. Eddie. It was, in fact. In other words, what happened was Eddie realized that he was not going to leave a good name for his son. Uh, and so uh, he tried to rectify that fact. Um, now, as you might imagine, um, uh, Easy Eddie, after the trial and after Al Capone was convicted, what do you think happened to Easy Eddie? I think Easy Eddie uh, probably didn't make it out of that. Well, he made it out of the courtroom, but uh, it wasn't much uh, after that that uh, he was found dead in an alley. Uh, you know, not surprising. And of course, I'm sure that he knew that that would happen to him, uh, and it did. And of course, uh, you know, the rest of the story is the fact that that murder was never solved. You know, <laughs> you know, no surprise there. Right. Now. It, you might uh, – what's interesting, though, is how that affected uh, his son because I think his son could be proud of the fact that his father actually did what he did. And then there is a story in World War II uh, that's just as important. Uh, and, and this had to do with uh, a pilot um, – that uh, was assigned to the Pacific, and uh, the pilot went up in his grooman, uh, fighter pilot, uh, along with his squadron. You know, they were all flying, and for whatever reason, this particular uh, uh, Navy pilot uh, did not um, – his aircraft was not fueled uh, properly, and his, um, his fuel gauge basically said it, he was close to empty. Um, and he was the only one in his squadron. He was ordered to turn back. And so he and his wingman, you know, because you always fly with the wingman as a pilot uh, under those circumstances, uh, turned back so that he could be fueled. 
And when he um, uh, turned back, uh, he actually saw beneath him uh, Japanese bombers that were heading straight for the aircraft carrier that they had just taken off for. And so uh, even though he had very little fuel, uh, he basically attacked these uh, uh, bombers uh, uh, on his own, he and his wingman. And his, unfortunately, his wingman's machine gun jammed, so it was only Eddie's machine uh, – not Eddie, excuse me. It was only the, the pilot's um, uh, gun that fired until he ran out of bullets. And then when he ran out of bullets, he actually used his aircraft to try to knock these bombers out of the sky. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, then his squadron learned what was going on, turned around, and then finished off the bombers. So the aircraft uh, carrier was saved uh, and not even touched by these, uh, these bombers. Uh, and miraculously, the pilot... And his wingman both landed safely back wow. on the aircraft carrier after destroying most of these bombers, which was a pretty amazing story. Uh, and so uh, the question is, who do you think the pilot was? I have no clue. It was Eddie's son. Oh, wow. Wow. A pretty amazing story. Um, the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, <laughs> is the fact that um, uh, Butch O'Hare, Lieutenant Butch O'Hare, Eddie's son, uh, died about a month later in, an, in another, um, you know, altercation with the Japanese, uh, which was very unfortunate. But if you've ever walked through Chicago O'Hare oh, Airport, yeah. Uh, you would know that uh, there's actually a replica of uh, of Lieutenant O'Hare's uh, grooming uh, in the airport. And, of course, the Chicago airport, uh, one of the busiest airports in the world, uh, is named after Butch O'Hare. Pretty cool, huh? Wow. That's an incredible story. Well, it's, it's a matter of what's in a name and, and the values that we give – our children, and of course, that's, uh, and of course, um, uh, the rest of the story too is uh, Butch O'Hare won the Medal of Honor uh, for his valor in terms of that uh, particular um, saving the aircraft carrier. So it was, it was uh, pretty cool. It was unfortunate, of course, that that he died a month later, uh, but at the same time, uh, what he did was was pretty courageous. Um, and and truthfully, from my own, my own perspective, the likelihood of that happening had his father not actually done what he did uh, at towards the end of his life uh, probably would never have occurred. Um, and and that's the whole point. So it's sort of like what. Now, most of us will never have a story like that. <laughs> Hopefully, we won't be sleazy Eddies, <laughs> and we won't have to rectify. Hope, But every family has stories. Every family and, – and, and, you know, there's a lot of commonality in terms of what we want to leave for our children, and it has to do with a whole lot more than money. But the fact is, is that if 
based on the way our uh, culture is today, if we're going to leave the, the values that, and virtues that we want our, our children to share, uh, we have to do things beyond what has been done in the past. And what I'm really getting at is that this is, for me, this is the last piece of the puzzle in planning. And that's why I call it a parallel inheritance. You've got – you, first you have to make money because clearly you have to have enough money to eat and pay the bills and pay the utilities and those kinds of things. And then hopefully you make enough money and, and live below your means so that you can um, grow your money uh, for yourself um, and hopefully at some point you have enough that you can get by on and, and uh, retire on and the like. And then the second part of the planning is the legal part and tax planning that you do for your family. But you have to, they have to buckle up. In other words, the financial planning and the estate planning that a lawyer can give you has to merge. And I've talked about how title is important, and that's, a, that's merging financial with legal. But there are a lot of other places where uh, it has to merge as well. And then for those folks who are concerned about the parallel inheritance, they really need to layer on top of that financial and legal planning the, the planning that can occur relating to values for your fa- family, the parallel inheritance. And, and so that uh, – I've talked too much about it this morning, but I, I think that that's a really important part for us uh, if we want to see uh, our communities and our families grow in a way that that's a, a positive influence on the world. I think you're exactly right, Bill, and we think so much about uh, the physical items and maybe monetary items that we want to pass on, but passing on that legacy and those values is also something very important, and I think if people think about it, they'll realize that, yeah, that's that's just as important uh, of an item to pass on as well. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And I want to remind you, you can find more information about Bill at WGALaw.com. That's Bill's website. You can also call his office if you're interested in scheduling an appointment with Bill, 919 256 7,000. And Bill, we've mentioned just how important it is for our uh, our planning to uh, be able to buckle up, as you gave the analogy, to make sure everything meshes and merges well. And we've been talking a lot about family legacy and stories and ethics, and all this stuff ties together. Well, it, it does. And so for those folks who uh, might be scratching their heads and say, okay, other than what we've been doing, 
what do we do? In other words, okay, I go to church. I go, you know, my I put my kids in scouting. We're, we've also been members of the Y. We do this, and I've lived a good life. And uh, you know, I just hope that uh, by osmosis, that my children or grandchildren um, actually know how important these things are to me. Uh, but you know, the the truth is that uh, there are a lot of values that are not being passed on one of the one of the things that has really bothered me is the fact that um, and the 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 studies have shown that uh, a, there are an awful lot of younger people and even middle-aged people this that where the values are not passed on and they're fined with cheating to get ahead cheating in school cheating in business to get ahead of of their their peers and the remorse only comes if they get caught, not the fact that they've done things uh, in a way that's not appropriate or fair. And it's really sad. Uh, but the bottom line is we, we really got to get a handle on this as, a, as families and as a country or, or we're really uh, going downhill fast as a country. And that <laughs> I hate to say that. Uh, okay, so with that said, it takes me back to what I've been doing for my younger parents for many years, because when when I represent uh, younger, you know, parents of younger children or minor children, uh, my recommendation is that they create a trust for their uh, minor children uh, that in the event that both parents should tragically die. Uh, and these trusts are really good trusts. They're, uh, they, they make a difference. However, the key in terms of the parallel inheritance is, okay, you pick out the right guard, guardian, you pick out the right trustee. Sometimes it's the same person, sometimes it's not. But I always encourage those parents to write a letter to their children that's kept in their planning portfolio. In other words, it's not really given to them at that point in their life. But it's obviously one of these, it's a hard letter to write. It talks about values, hopes, fears, dreams, the whole bit for your children. So I encourage that. And I also encourage a letter to the guardian and the letter to the trustee. And how important that these letters can be um, in terms of what's really important that you pass down if you're not there to say this is important to me and I want you to understand this and part of it is how important they your children or grandchildren are to you and being able to say that sometimes it's an apology I didn't do things right you know uh, sometimes it's it's a it's stories in terms of I've made mistakes in my life that I regret and I want you to learn by my mistakes so you don't make the same mistakes you know that's <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of ways to do it, but every family has stories. Every family has has a sense of values that they want to pass on, and this is an opportunity to do it. Well, well what I'm really saying this morning is that those of us where our children have grown up, I, I believe that these letters or stories are just as important to adult children as they are to minor children. Don't we wish we had a letter like that that was written to us by our dad or our mom um, 
recognizing how how important that would be to us. And I, I'm so uh, what I'm really saying is that as planners and as people, as families, we we should focus on this. Uh, and it, like I said, this is a parallel inheritance that has nothing to do with how much money we pass on because we. If we can pass on values to our children and grandchildren, we, we've done a good job. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're right, Bill. And I think that idea of writing those letters is, is so important because not only is it uh, sort of a gift and a legacy that you're leaving behind to those involved in the trust, but it also kind of focuses your mind on, you know, what, what do you really want to pass on? What do you want your loved ones to know? And uh, I, I think that's a wonderful idea. But we got to take a quick break. We'll be back with more. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. are listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. I want to remind you, if you want to schedule an appointment with Bill, you can call the office 919-256-7000, 919-256-7000, or go online to WGALaw.com, WGALaw.com. Bill, any parting shots before we head out this, this morning? Just take care of your family. Uh, it couldn't be better said than that. It's very simple and straight to the point. Again, thank you so much for joining us. We hope you'll do it again next Saturday at 11. It's Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have a wonderful weekend. 